It's your boy Kobe Mack and this is the Kobe Told Me Podcast. It's my whenever I want to, even live edition of the podcast for your listening pleasure. It is brought to you by the 4th District Podcast Network. Would you please consider giving your boy a follow? I'm on all the socials. At Kobe Told Me on Twitter and Instagram. And if you're still in the Facebook, I'm there. At Kobe Mack. Welcome, welcome, welcome back. This is episode 32, the Queen and Slim edition, aka the live edition, aka another epic week is in the books. And if you can't tell I'm live because of that, it's been a crazy week. It's been a lot of fun, but I'm watching more movies. I'm reviewing more movies. I'm guesting on a bunch of podcasts that I really, really am happy about that. And yo, it's a hell of a good time. I'm glad to be live. I hope I look okay. I hope I look as good as I sound for y'all though on the live stream when I started. A little bit of technical difficulties, but I expected nothing less because I'm very, 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 very technically uninclined. But you're here for this and this and all of this. So yo, another epic week is in the books. The 2019 movie count currently stands at 132 movies at the theater as of December the 5th. And as I always say, I got a bunch more to go. What I've been watching, man, I watched Frozen 2 a couple times last week over the holiday break. Queen and Slim, which is a podcast we'll be getting into a little bit later. I found three and a half hours somehow to dedicate to the Irishman. And you'll hear about that. Maybe not on this podcast, but you will hear about that on the Minorities Report podcast film coming up. Um, I got a chance to watch Waves. My gosh. Yo, if you don't know, Kobe's got a sweet spot and a soft spot for films that will emotionally fuck me up. And Waves did just that. And I'm very, very happy for it. Um, If you didn't get a chance to see my little mini review, catching all the socials, it's there. I'm hoping that I'll be able to articulate my words a little bit longer into a full review for that next week. Um, I did catch up on some streaming stuff too. I got a chance to finally finish Insatiable. If there are any Insatiable fans out there, I think... Ryan Altieri's like the only one hashtag Professor Horror. What up, Ryan? Um, yeah, uh, Insatiable. Is, <laughs> it's not as good as the first season. This is the second season. I really tried to power through it, and uh, it, it was I. You know, like it, it really, really was just I. That's about it. <laughs> That's about all I can really say on it. But um, I'm glad that I got through it. Yo, my boy. Shout out to my best friend Trey. He's over in Spain, but he put me on to this show called. The Astronomy Club on Netflix. It's this new sketch comedy show. My God, my God, it is. I haven't laughed at sketch comedy in so long, and it was so refreshing. Because let me tell you, this is the blackest and bestest sketch comedy show probably since *In Living Color*, and it is incredibly funny. It is very insensitive, and it's my type of humor. It's streaming on Netflix right now. I know there's so much stuff to catch this holiday season, but if you have some time to dedicate to like these really funny 20 to 30 minute episodes, you will not regret it. I promise you. So make sure to check it out. Shout outs for this week. Shout out to Feelin' Film Podcast. My boy Aaron and Patch allowed me to guest on there to do a really great Knives Out review that's already dropped earlier this week. Um, Somebody had tweeted earlier, like, what is, like, what is, you know, what is the, what is the the thing that you feel the most proud of um, as we close out 2019? And I say, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Right now, I'm about somewhere between 52 and 55 podcasts that I listen to on a weekly basis. Shout out to 1.5 Speed. And, whew, man, um, 
you know how you got like your favorites, right? Like the, the go-tos, you know for a fact that when they drop an episode, you are gonna be right there to be able to listen to it. And I'm incredibly gracious and thankful that I've got a chance to guest on some of my favorite podcasts. Um, Next Best Picture, Mike Mike and Oscar, Feeling Film, In Session Film, uh, For Your Reference Podcast, uh, The Two Peas on a Podcast. Um, I'm waiting for Dan! To get me on Netflix and Swivel, we'll see. <laughs> nah, but I just, I, I love it. I love doing this. I, I love having fun with it. And I love this community that I'm a part of. It's super engaging and it's everything and more uh, than what I thought it would be. And forgive me, like I really, I'm really hoping to kind of interact a, a, a little bit more. So I'm trying to make sure I can pay attention up top and here and there because I got a couple of different streams going on. But if you got questions, I'll make sure to try to chime in as quickly as I can. But yo, another shout out to Dwayne Miller at the Cinemania World Podcast. You can follow them at Cinemania World. Um, I got into some more of my thoughts on Queen and Slim earlier. Um, shout out to the Peace in It Together podcast. That uh, review pod just dropped um, there. You can follow the Peace in It Together pod at Piecing Pod on Twitter. And then just dropping yesterday is the In Session Film Extra Film podcast with my guys Ryan and Jay. And we got into Queen and Slim as well. You can follow them at In Session Film. Uh, get into it real quick before this, uh, this week ends. Uh, I want to go ahead and go over the box office totals from last week just really quickly. Frozen 2 was the monster, exactly what it was supposed to be. Um, the five-day Thanksgiving holiday box office at $123 million. This film is going to break a billion very easily, and that should be like the fifth or sixth movie this year uh, for Disney. Um, at the number two spot, you got Knives Out with $41.7 million. Four V Ferrari at number three with $13.2. A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood in the number four spot with $11.8 million. And Queen and Slim making its entrance into the top five at $15.8 million. Rest of the top 10, you got 21 Bridges playing with fire. Midway, Joker still making money. He made $2.9 million. Gosh, what a behemoth. And last Christmas with $2.8 million rounding out your top 10. And interesting enough, there's a name that you probably are like, yo, how is that not in the top 10? Yo, Charlie's Angels in the number 14 spot making $1.8 million over five days. Like, I don't understand why this movie failed this bad. It shouldn't have failed that bad. But it did. I'm going to have to look into it because it sucks. It's disheartening. I mean, I found it to be rather enjoyable. But yeah, 1.8 million, I guess the audience speaks and they are tired of that. Ah, But it's okay. But yo, did you guys check out the Black Widow trailer? It's been a really, really long time since we've had any MCU content, in my opinion. I mean, what? Spider-Man came out back in July. It's now December. It's five months. And just to know that we're not going to get the actual movie till May of next year. I don't know if I'm alone, but I'm experiencing withdrawal symptoms, and I really hope that we can get something, and I guess this is the something that we're going to be able to get, even though I hear that there's a possibility that, uh, what is that, what is that movie that's coming out next year, The Eternals, we should be getting a trailer, I think, attached to Rise of Skywalker, I don't know, but my thoughts real quickly on the Black Widow trailer is I, like, it's not bad, it's not great, it's the first trailer too, or the first teaser trailer, but it sheds some light on a little bit of Natasha Romanoff's journey and what kind of happened in between the events of Captain America Civil War and uh, Avengers Infinity War. And there's some stuff that kind of left me scratching my head. I didn't think that she had any family. And apparently there's like a super spy family that we've got inside this film. So I'm going to see how that plays out. And um, I think that this film is probably going to end up being five years too late in regards to when we really, really wanted it. But I'm still going to watch that lot of it. And I'll see it in Dolby. Hashtag Kobe does Dolby. But y'all are here to get some more thoughts on Queen and Slim. And I'm hoping that I can figure out and navigate this Queen and Slim question and answer 
part of this live stream podcast because I would love to kind of do something a little bit different. Even though it's a solo pod and I want you guys to be able to hear my solo thoughts, I think that the conversation gets amplified when I can be able to interact and play off of somebody else. And this film desperately needs to have that conversation. So without further ado, I'm going to be getting into my thoughts on Queen and Slim and I'll see you on the other side. Yo, so the beauty of black representation on screen is at a point in our lives in cinema where access and opportunity are providing new and old avenues to display the complexities of who and what we are and, and, and what we've always deserved, right? So, um, but I also believe that with having that access and power, with great power comes great responsibility and we are not a monolith. Um, it's important to champion this sentiment. So like, while there are many areas um, of like our oneness, you know, um, to us, there's also these varying, dif- you know, these differences and shades that the way that we think, the way that we talk and engage and digest and ultimately look to be entertained in cinema, nonetheless, is different, right? And admittedly, this this is going to be the hardest review that I've done to date. Well, at least for now, of course, so, you know, up to this time. So um, there's many more stories to tell and the nuances of film criticism amongst, you know, black and brown film critics at the very least, they can and they will represent challenges that I personally look forward to face while at the same time, I'm a bit trepidatious too. Um, I've gotten in the past week and a half since Queen and Slim has been out, it ain't been easy, you know, uh, with, with voicing my thoughts. Um, there's a lot of folks that have a certain expectation when it comes to black and brown uh, film critics to unabashedly support black and brown art. I feel like that's a little narrow, but at the same time, like I get it, you know? Um, it's tough. Like there's a fear of being looked down upon uh, for not supporting our art to its fullest. And I've gotten it before, maybe sometimes in jest. I've been called a coon and I've been called an Uncle Tom, but um, Ultimately, I stand resonate in the fact that I'm proud of my integrity and my ethics um, as a filmmaker, as a storyteller, as a critic, and I want to keep that intact. And I hope that you all can tell that I'm trying to stick to that too. Um, like Queen and Slim is a film that was high on my like my watch list for 2019, and um, the trailer like the trailer was cut gorgeously and. I was shocked. Like there's this beautiful magnetism to this story and its creators and the commentary it looks to propose. And in this climate, we don't always feel heard and our lives don't always feel valued. But ultimately what Lena Waithe and Melina Masukis, the writer and the director of this film, they set out to cater a black experience story that was emphasizing black love without a white lens. They succeeded in doing that. You feel me? Like, Queen and Slim succeeds in putting two characters that were less than ideal matched together on the run after a routine traffic stop becomes essentially a black American nightmare. And they both take part in the tragic killing of a police officer in in self-defense. And it's clear, it is in self-defense, right? And along their journey to freedom, the trials and connections they make on the road, it blossoms this deep connection that's intense and it creates a legacy that's richer than they ever could have imagined. That's the most beautiful thing that this film has got going for it. And what helps is having a first-time director, Melina Masukis, her eye 
is very evident by her extensive music video background. It's captivated by urban images. And there's a grit to this to this film that it, it really is refreshing and it's real. There, it, it's highlighting the distinct choices and shots composed by her to highlight the majesty of black and brown bodies where audiences can see themselves on screen. And it's impressive, it's colorful, it's real, it's harsh, and it's also terrifying. The reality of our lives is made up by those things and a lot more too. And the collaborative effort of Melina and Lena Waithe to paint a picture of the black experience on screen with all its beauty and with all its warts, it's commendable. And the soundtrack, yo, it really helps kind of move the story along. It mimics the splendor of our story in America as well as shows that we are more than a single sound or a single genre, from rap to soul to jazz to, to so much more. Music is the character unto itself that's equally a part of the story. And the cinematography, it helps bolster all those things. Like there's, there's these snapshots of what life in America looks like for so many different shades of us across the country as these two go on their road trip. And it exposes all of the little dirty truths about how we are and where we are. And the biggest and most undeniable truth is the way that the performers embody the vision that Lena and Melina brought together, it magnifies black love in a tender and very lyrical way. I mean, Queen and Slim does something special with the this hyper real sex scene in the movie that is atypical in cinemas. You typically do not get the boldness of somebody to show Darker skin lead characters engage in a graphic sex scene the way that it does. That does not happen. And if you think about all the films we've seen, it does not happen on the scale of which this movie is. I mean, and the acting all around is really, really great. Yo, Bokeem Woodbine, shout out to Uncle Earl. Uncle Earl is a scene stealer and he provides a levity that I just wasn't prepared for. Like, there's some comedy in this film that took me completely off guard. And personally, I didn't think that it meshed well, but on its own, it was great. Like, India Moore, in the little time that she had on screen, it was subdued, yet she was powerful. It was really phenomenal to see the way that the camera just gravitated to her. There's this, there's this real poetic poignance to the film throughout the dialogue that is, it's, it's a real nice touch. And it rests heavily on Daniel Kaluuya and newcomer Jody Turner-Smith, right? And Daniel Kaluuya, like, he's automatic. Any film that he's in, I will watch. And he completely elevates the script, in my opinion. And I think that Jodie Turner-Smith is good. I think she's sometimes a little too green where, where the film screenplay was weak. She couldn't elevate it as much as Daniel Kaluuya. Um, but I will say that their chemistry on screen was a little slow to start, but it really does start rounding into form as the film goes out to the caliber of like what Stephen James and Kiki Lane did in Barry Jenkins' If Beale Street Could Talk. However, though, um, where Queen and Slim works most in the strength of its love story, its weakness is the narrative composure, composure of the many themes that left me wanting more and that weren't fully developed. And that's mainly a fault of the screenplay. Like, there's an all-too-real social and political conflict in this film, which it purports to tackle, but it doesn't seem to want to do that. And if it does do that, it doesn't have a nuanced conversation long enough to really hit it home or hold it effectively. And, yo, that is a subjective take, right? Like, my expectations weren't met 
for this film. And that doesn't mean that this film is bad. That just means that the film is incomplete to me. You know, we're left asking ourselves a lot more questions as an audience that this film doesn't take the time to fully answer. And yo, is it unfair? It really is unfair. You know, I wish that some films could just be a film unto itself. It doesn't have to like try to live up to anything, but this film is packaged in a way that says that it wants to do that. Like if you look at the letterbox letterbox letterboxed synopsis of this film, it says that it is driving the narrative of this black love story in the midst of this political and social, you know, movement. So when you do that and you give me the love story without the political and social commentary to go with it, yeah, it's incomplete. And there's a lot of other weaknesses inside the screenplay, like just with the narrative construction and with the really, sometimes like the dialogue works. Sometimes the dialogue is beautiful, but I think it's too beautiful where it doesn't seem to make sense. And there's things that are happening on screen that don't feel earned because it's not supported and informed enough by the screenplay. Like the love story is very straightforward. While the social commentary, the character's choices and the plot as a whole is head scratching. And many of the decisions that are written, they're very emotional. They're abstract of believable logic. And it takes you, it took me out of the film. And there's a lot of moments in the second act where particular and peculiar injections of comedy, like I mentioned earlier, they're great on its own, but it's the film, it doesn't blend it together with the tone. And the editing does not help. Can you believe that there's actually a cut of this film that's 30 minutes longer? Like 30 minutes longer. My boy Shama, he saw the movie and it was 30 minutes longer. And this film's long. <sighs> so yeah, the editing doesn't help the pace. It does feel chopping. And it leaves the audience unsure of the time and how the narrative progresses. And like I said, I love the performances. And that's mainly a credit to Daniel Kaluuya, who elevates the weaker components of the dialogue. And Jodie Turner doesn't always do it. But Lena Waithe, I mean, respect for what she's doing and the name that she is and, and, and her star is rising. Like I mentioned earlier, she's attempting to paint the black experience in this film, but she's trying to paint it all, right? And she's using such broad strokes and she's trying to fit so much into this one film. And I think that is emblematic of being a first-time feature writer where you're so close to your content that you're trying to put it all in there, right? Like you really are. And you don't know what to take out, right? So she's too close to the script. And it appears that there's a lot that she didn't want to edit out, which hurts the overall effectiveness of the narrative. So personally, the film's lack of commentary on our climate with incorporating this lightning rod story element with this traffic stop gone wrong, it's a missed opportunity to display it. And the many shades of black and brown discussion to social justice and police brutality, we've never got a chance to see that on screen, like we just haven't. And there's films that try to do that. I mean, Black and Blue tried to do that. It didn't do it well. 21 Bridges tried to do that. It didn't do it well. And Queen and Slim was so close, but it doesn't do it well. So yeah, man, objectively, this film has some very strong direction. And it knows how to slickly capture the beauty of black skin. And the camera work is stylized and it's cool. And, you know, the mood is set appropriately by the music. And the performances are great for the most part, despite some of the shortcomings of the screenplay. Subjectively, I've never been more soul broken and conflicted after watching a movie. I feel that this one, like, this film is probably one of the most socially irresponsible films that I've seen in a while because of its lack of 
trying to have not answer the question to you know to police brutality and social injustice, but at least to open up the conversation and hear from both sides. And it doesn't do that in this film. And however, I have a responsibility with my voice and my platform to not fully allow my unmet expectations color my critical analysis to ignore how this film is resonating with audiences. Let me tell you something. Audiences really did love this film. It's somewhat disheartening because there are things that happen. And if you could tell, I'm trying to be very deliberate with this, you know, with this review and not making things a spoiler because I, I feel like that the impact of certain events can really shape how it's going to hit you. So I may do a part two and try to do it as a spoiler filled and, uh, you know, see how that engage. I feel like this film missed the mark by not having a conversation in it. But I feel like the conversations that happen outside of it are probably even more important. And they've been really fulfilling for me personally as a film critic with some of the pods that I've been able to interact with and folks I've been able to engage with on social media. So the Kobe Tomi rating for Queen and Slim is a 6 out of 10. It's directed by Melina Masukis, written by Lena Waithe, starring Daniel Kaluuya, Jody Turner-Smith, Bokeem Woodbye, yeah, Chloe Savini, Flea, and India Moore. The runtime is 131 minutes, and it's rated R. Well, that is the Queen and Slim review for you. A little bit different being able to have the camera on me at the same time. I hope you guys enjoy it. I hope this film makes you think. Um, I ultimately hope that it proposes a question that you want to have an answer to. And then you take the conversation and have it with your friends and with your family. Because I ultimately believe that this film has the potential and the opportunity to do some great things. And if it didn't, then hopefully the audience can be able to take that responsibility and burden and have these conversations with those that are around them. Um, but yeah, get out there, watch Queen and Slim, get at your boy, let me know uh, what you thought. Um, also, let me know what you think of what is coming to theaters this weekend. In about, ooh, I gotta get going. In about 30 minutes, I'm about to go watch Playmobil with the Mrs. Mac and with the Mini Mac, and that should be interesting. Um, it's the first time that I've seen a movie where I guess they knew it was gonna be so bad, they just said we're gonna have all tickets for this brand new movie at $5. So, if you don't got $5 to spend, or if you do got $5 to spend, go take the family to see Playmobil. Think of it as like Lego movie, light, 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 right? Um, but yeah, so, uh, and then also you've got um, the Aeronauts, which was supposed to have a much bigger release. I've heard not bad things about it. I haven't heard great things about it either, but I heard it looks good. It sucks because it was supposed to have this really big IMAX release, but that's opening up very limited. Honey Boy's a little bit wider. I'm hoping to catch that this week along with Dark Waters with Mark Ruffalo. I'm going to catch that too. Everybody's talking about the movie of the week, in my opinion, which is Marriage Story, which is now streaming on Netflix. I'm hoping to catch that tonight. Try to look out for a mini review either Sunday or Monday. Uh, make sure to follow the Stream Team Podcast, all right? Uh, the Stream Team Pod, episode zero. Hopefully, we'll like a find the time and work with everybody and get this thing scripted out. It's coming soon. It's going to be the sports center for the streaming platforms. Netflix, Hulu, Apple TV+, Plus, um, Disney+, Plus, all the pluses. Your boy is going to be the lead anchor to go ahead and give you a fun-filled podcast to cover all of your streaming needs and desires you can follow the pod now at the Stream Team 6 on Twitter. And of course, as well, you can make sure to check out all of my written content at KobeToldMe.com. You can listen to me co-hosting with the crew on the Minority Support Film Podcast. Make sure to follow all our crazy commentary at Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And remember, when they ask you where you heard it from, tell them Kobe told me. <laughs>